I agree with you saying that it's something where you look at Ran and you go, you gotta be effing kidding me. Is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 124. I want to invite you over to our website, lionsofliberty.com slash 124, where you can find the show notes for today's show. All right, guys, you are listening to a very special emergency session of Rand Pauluses and Minuses, the show we typically do about once a month or so here at Lions of Liberty. But just like, you know, when big news breaks in the nation with the president, you know, when there's an emergency, when something big happens, we call an emergency session. We call a cabinet into the situation room, and that's what we're doing today. So first, I'm going to bring in my co-host here at Rand Paul Lusses and Minuses, our resident Rand Paul critic, analyst, etc., Brian McWilliams, welcome back. And I bet you didn't expect to find yourself uh, back here so quickly. I did not, but I saw the week. beacon, the RPM uh, letters emblazoned in the skyline, and I said, I got to get over there and weigh right. in. And, uh, you know, the reason we're calling this emergency session here is because just this past week here, we had the big Iran nuclear deal that President Obama struck with Iran. It's been cheered by anti-war progressives, cheered by many libertarians. Uh, but one Rand Paul himself came out very strongly against this deal, and this has certainly caused a little commotion in the liberty world, as Rand is often apt to do, as, as we know, which is the whole reason this show even exists in the first place. Uh, but before we proceed, we have a very special guest we've brought in to discuss this issue today. He is the host of Anti-War Radio on KPFK on Sundays here in Los Angeles, as well as the host of the five-day-per-week Scott Horton Show from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. He is the one and only Scott Horton. Welcome back to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Scott. And before we really talk about Rand and, and his response to this, why don't you just tell everybody out there what you know about this nuclear deal with Iran? Is this a positive development for anti-war folks and for those with individual liberty as their foremost priority? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a cold war against Iran ever since they overthrew the American sock puppet dictatorship in 1979. And ever since about the mid-1990s, the Israelis have made the nuclear issue, and the Americans have taken it up, obviously, especially in the Bush years, as the excuse, basically, to beat them over the head and punish them for declaring independence from the empire. And so what happened was they figured out that if they had a sophisticated enough civilian nuclear program, but pregnant with possibilities, that maybe they could bring America to the table and find themselves brought back into the so-called international community, get the sanctions lifted, and uh, start having a normal relationship. And that's, that's been the goal from the beginning of the campaign of the current president over there, is to finally end the global Cold War against Iran, obviously that led by the United States. And so it worked. Uh, you know, Bush and, and Cheney, they had... Uh, the attitude that, well, we don't talk to evil, we defeat it, and all this kind of thing. While they had that attitude and refused to negotiate with the Iranians, who were offering to negotiate with them way back then, in the meantime, they ended up spinning 20,000 centrifuges and enriching quite a stockpile of uranium, still only to electricity grade, but they proved that they had mastered the fuel cycle and that if America and or Israel ever followed through on our threats to launch a preemptive war against them, or so-called preemptive anyway, that they would, you know, they're showing without saying it that they have the capacity to then decide to make nukes. 
But up until then, they've had the attitude since Bush, you know, and even before, but especially since Bush called them part of the axis of evil, they said, hey, uh-uh, we are not. Look, our hands are up. We're members in good standing of our safeguards agreement with the IAEA. You know, there's no illicit nuclear program here. Come on in, look at our books, inspect away. And everything that they've pursued in terms of nuclear technology since then has all been legal. They've not been in violation of their safeguards agreement, which is their deal with the IAEA, that they're allowed to inspect and verify that they're not diverting their nuclear material to any military purpose, as they're obligated to under the Nonproliferation Treaty, which they're signatories to. And so they've ended up building a pretty robust nuclear program and bringing the Americans to the table. And they are pretty desperate to come to the table because their economy is a shambles because of the sanctions and also because especially, I guess, their entire government policy, but particularly under Ahmadinejad, he was a terrible Keynesian and just really inflated the money supply and wiped out the middle class and ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. And they're really desperate to get back on their feet the whole population are. And they're under crippling sanctions, which are depriving them of much more international trade than any, you know, kind of blockade against weapons or anything like that. We've ended up, uh, you know, depriving them of medicine just because companies are reluctant to even engage in commerce with the Iranian central bank or, you know, with any uh, large distributors tied to Iran or anything like that, because who wants to go and cross the U.S. Treasury? Not me, right? So, CEOs all over the place have decided to just forget it and not even trade with Iran because of the danger to their own interests. And so they've been deprived of, you know, things that they really need, life and death type medicines and these kinds of things. So on their side, that was their motivation to come to the table. I guess Obama's motivation was to prevent this thing from going much further and leading to a war. And under the, you know, stated premise that America will not allow Iran under the theory that they're even making them to make nukes. And so he's actually got them now to agree to scale back their nuclear program to great degrees from 20,000 centrifuges down to six to scale back the quantity of enriched uranium that they're holding at any given time to basically whatever they need at the time and not keep much more of a stockpile than that, much less than could even be further enriched to uh, make a weapon. And they're agreed to convert their heavy water reactor at Iraq, which produces plutonium, which theoretically could be used for a weapon, even though they don't have the facility to reprocess it, which they would need. Uh, and they certainly wouldn't be able to do any of that without the whole world knowing anyway. But anyway, they've agreed to completely reconfigure that reactor so that it does not produce, is not even the slightest danger of producing weapons-grade plutonium as its waste. And they've agreed to expand inspections beyond any re inspection regime in uh, the history of the Nonproliferation Treaty, which, again, they're already under. They already have a safeguards agreement, but now they're adding an additional protocol and all kinds of additional measures, which will allow inspections at their mines, at their centrifuge factories, where they create the centrifuges, even where there is no nuclear material there, but just to keep count of each and every centrifuge as they come out of the factory and all of these kinds of things. And they're scaling back their uranium, their ability, they're expanding inspections, and uh, that's the vast majority of it. I feel like maybe I'm missing something out. But anyway, in exchange, they're getting a lifting of the sanctions from the EU, the UN, and the United States. And hopefully this will be the real beginning of the end of the Cold War between the U.S. and Iran. And I don't want to be allies with them. 
America has been fighting for Iran in Iraq for the last 13 years, and it's been an absolute catastrophe. More than a million people have been killed, and they've been up to no good there since before the Iraq War. They even helped lure the Americans into the Iraq War, if you go back to 2002, the neocon idiots. Right. Wasn't uh, Chalabi, I believe, was a sort of aligned with the, Iran- right. with the Iranians. And he uh, and I know this stuff from listening to the Scott Horton show. But uh, I mean, he was really one of the, the basically the guy that said, all right, I'm, I'm the smoking gun. That's me. I'm the yep. guy that can tell you these weapons are here. So come on in. So this stuff goes way back. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's funny. I was just spacing out when I was driving around today and remembered this old Tom Clancy book. Uh, novel, you know, how the Tom Clancy kind of military thrillers or whatever. And it begins with somebody assassinates Saddam Hussein and then overnight Iran rules the entire southern portion of Iraq. And then now the question is, how are they going to work things out about ruling over the predominantly Sunni areas and all this stuff? And that came out, you know, just a year or two, I think, before the actual invasion, maybe three years before the actual invasion of Iraq. And then exactly those results coming about so that's the other thing that i kind of didn't get to which i don't know if you're gonna ask but how all the people who are the biggest opponents of this nuclear deal one obviously are disingenuous that they're afraid of iran's nuclear program because this is scaling it back and inspecting it beyond anything they could hope for there's no way when they define a good deal as meaning iran gives up their entire nuclear program that's just a bogus red herring you know they prove they want a war and then secondly, almost to a man, the, you know, the leaders of this entire you know, um, uh, propaganda push against it, they're all the very same people who demanded that we get rid of Saddam Hussein for them back in 2002 and back in 2003. Uh, you know, Eli Lake is on Twitter all day long, uh, writing in Bloomberg News, hysterical all day long about Iran. Well, he was the number one purveyor of uh, Ahmed Chalabi's lies in the American media. And now we got to sit here and be lectured by him about Iran is getting away with bloody murder here? For God's sake, man. You know, have these people no sense of decency at all? Yeah, I mean, it seems like only only the most insane bloodthirsty of neocon could possibly be opposed to something to this kind of deal and and i i mean for all our criticisms of Rand paul we've certainly had him here on this show uh, i mean i would never really refer to him as a crazy bloodthirsty neocon and i still don't want to think he's that bad uh, in relation to a lot of these guys like the mccains of the world but i mean when you read his statement it just seems to defy all any sort of logic when it comes to this i mean just maybe we can just break down his reasons that he states here in his statement about why he came out against this and he says here The proposed agreement with Iran is unacceptable for the following reasons. Number one, sanctions relief precedes evidence of compliance. So why don't we just start there? Is there any truth that they're getting relief from sanctions before there is a shred of evidence that they've actually done anything to scale back whatever they may have actually had of a a nuclear program, if anything? And, And as far as I know, there's no solid evidence they even had taken real steps towards a weapon. Yeah, no, there were minor research projects, but there was never any coherent nuclear weapons program in Iran even before 2003. And the CIA and Mossad agrees that uh, they have not made the political decision to create a nuclear weapons program or, you know, experiment along those lines, proceed along those lines at all since then, which is now 12 years ago. So, yeah, there's that. And now, is there any truth to this? Not only is there no truth to this, that sanctions relief precedes evidence of compliance, as he wrote it, but there's 
hardly an excuse of ignorance or misunderstanding on his part here because when Justin Romando from antiwar.com called his office to say what's taken so long with the statement, they said the senator is reading the entire deal. And so he knows that it's a matter of phasing the sanctions out. It's impossible in time and space to just turn off all sanctions with you know, the signing of one document or something like that. It just can't work that way. And it's also impossible to close up Fordo in an instant either. I mean, unless they start deploying my I Dream a Genie around here to take care of all this stuff instantaneously, all of this takes a little while. But then that's kind of the nice part, right? Is we're lifting the sanctions as they're implementing their end of the deal, and that's the deal. And, you know, when I explained this to Tom Woods earlier, he kind of went off on a side thing about how this is how all negotiations work. Any negotiation that says you have to do everything before we do anything, which is, you know, what uh, Rand is basically, you know, holding out for here, apparently, is disingenuous. That's not how real bargains work. And in this case, again, scaling back the nuclear program on their side, lifting the sanctions on our side. These are things that take, you know, weeks and months to do. And so they're the perfect kind of thing to happen in tandem. And that's exactly how the nuclear deal has it laid out. So, you know, I'd call him a liar. You don't have to. But I think well, that he's <laughs> just, you know, he's trying to make up an excuse for this political decision that he feels he has to make for his own personal ambition at the expense of what's good and right. And in fact, what's at the expense of his own ambition in the end, he'll find out, I think. So why do you think he feels the need to come out so strongly against it? If we have to take him at his word or his office's word that we, he was really reading the whole thing, how could he actually think the, 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 the reasons he's stating here, that relief precedes evidence of compliance, that he also cites that Iran is left with significant nuclear capacity. Now that's a very subjective term, significant, but, but to me it sounds like right now don't already have significant nuclear capacity, let alone after they scale it back with this. And he also, he's also cites that it lifts the ban on selling advanced weapons to Iran. Well, I mean, where don't we sell advanced weapons to at this point in this country? So I don't see how that's even a valid thing to bring up. Well, let me address both of those real quick sure. here. So, you know, first of all, yeah, I, I don't think having read it that he can take these positions honestly. I think it is. And we can talk about the politics again in a second. But I think it is disingenuous, and that's your, your real answer there. But as far as Iran is left with a significant nuclear capacity, no, they're not. They're completely reducing their nuclear program down to bare bones, but they're never going to give it all up. It's a matter of national pride. You imagine the world telling America, telling the U.S. government, you know, the American Jacksonians, that we have to give up every last nuclear plant or nuclear reactor or... or enrichment facility in our country Pfft, give me a break i mean we don't even think about that for a minute uh and that's the exact same thing for them too there's no way is that they would ever give it all up the only way to give it and in fact even bombing the hell out of it can't destroy it all either the only thing that could destroy it all would be to march the entire army and marine corps in there with pretty much the whole air force providing their cover and stay for 10 years or 20 and have a war that's five times as big as the ones that we've just been, uh, you know, waging in Iraq, Afghanistan and 
I guess, if you want to throw in the proxy wars. Uh, there's probably a few guys that actually think that sounds like a fantastic idea. Oh, I'm sure John McCain would line up. Right, and for everyone else, they're going, oh, no, I'm not saying that, but okay, well, what are you saying then? Iran is left with a significant capacity, meaning they will have nuclear reactors. They will have enrichment. That's all they'll be left with. They're not, they have nothing approaching a nuclear weaponization ability at all. And in fact, they're being taken back from anything along those lines by significant degrees. So what is it he wants other than he's holding out for a red herring and he knows it? And then the third one, again, you're right. On the selling weapons, the theory is that if we're normalizing relations and that if they're abiding by this deal, then what difference does it make if we sell them parts for their F-14s that they still have left over from when our government owned theirs, lock, stock, and barrel, back in the 70s? No, are they referring there, with that one, I'm wondering if they're referring to sanctions as far as, not as far as the U.S. selling them uh, military items, but more China and Russia. I think maybe is that what they're talking about, lifting sanctions as far as importing those weapons? You mean from other countries? Yeah. If people want to have a real fight over, never mind their nuclear program, now let's change the subject to Iran's ballistic missile capacity and have a whole new fight about those sanctions, that'd be fine. But my understanding is that the sanctions that ban the weapon sales that are at issue here are ones that are all tied into the nuclear program and all tied into the same you know, crippling sanctions through the U.N., so they're all being lifted. I guess, you know, if they wanted to have a whole new round and focus on ballistic missiles. But then again, they have their own domestic ballistic missile capacity. And I don't think the Russians or the Chinese are, you know, champing at the bit to, I guess you spell it champing, but you pronounce it chomping. I don't think they're <laughs> ready to sell three-stage intercontinental ballistic missiles to these guys or anything like that. that. That's not in their interest either. So again, the Americans sell weapons to our friends and enemies all over the place. And, you know, in this case, they're the closest thing we have to an ally in the Middle East in real life anyway. Not that I want it to be that way, but that's the way it really is in practice. And it's in context of Rand's excuses. It's just as bogus as the other two. You know, he could just as easy take up, uh, well, you know, we should have further sanctions regime on, on trading with high-powered weapons or whatever. He could take that up as an issue next. That's what he wants. And let me say one more thing about Rand here before we switch to the politics of uh, what a scummy thing this is, is that in the past, he has voted for sanctions, but explained that, listen, I don't want a war. And I think that Obama's negotiations have real possibilities and could succeed. And he wants these sanctions to strengthen his hand. And so that's why I'm voting for them. And so you could disagree with that, but that's, you know his explanation. And then there were other times where he voted against sanctions because Obama didn't want them. And it was clear that the Republicans were trying to sabotage the negotiations in the interim stages when the negotiations were going well. And they were trying to add all these new conditions and sanctions in order to try to sabotage the thing. He voted against those in 2014 and 15 and said, no, man, I, I support diplomacy here. I voted for sanctions before for the right reason. I'm not going to vote for these sanctions, which are for the wrong reason. And so there was reason to be mildly optimistic, I don't know, or less pessimistic than usual, maybe, that when it came down to the Iran deal, that maybe he had a plan, that he knows the issue well enough, the international legal framework and the technology and, and whatever else. He knows it well enough to argue it and that maybe he would take a stand on this 
and use it in his campaign to differentiate himself from the others and you know to prove that he knows what he's talking about and to follow up consistently on what his policy has been as a senator and his votes on these sanctions over the last few years. And then it comes down to the wire and he completely blows it. So what do you think Rand's real motive here? I mean, obviously, if he's if you don't think he's being you know, genuine and if you think he's being disingenuous here, then he must believe that coming out strongly against this will help him politically. Now, from my point of view, that's a huge missed opportunity. Like you said, he could come out very strongly against this. Explain to his libertarian brethren or semi-brethren or what have you that, hey, look, this is why. This is why I was for the sanctions before, because I wanted to help President Obama get to this deal. It could have been a you know, wonderful aisle-crossing moment that really you know, opened up a lot of progressive eyes, maybe to say, okay, maybe this Rand Paul's all right. He's actually applauding the president on something great he did. He's not being like the other Republicans, just towing that neocon line despite all evidence to the contrary. So, I mean, he must obviously think that taking this sort of neocon position is going to help him politically, but to me, it really just makes him one of the other guys, whereas... I mean, I don't know if he has a chance to win, win the presidency if he toes the neocon line or if he takes the anti-war line, but to me, the only way to differentiate himself is to really take a, a principled different stance than the rest of the Republicans, but sadly, he just seems to be repeating Netanyahu talking points. I totally agree with you that this is bad politics. And now, he's got two different campaigns to run, right? He's got the people and he's got the establishment. And I think, and this part is just speculation, but eh, it's pretty credible speculation i guess that you know it's it's a fact that he went to the restaurant and i don't know if he literally kissed the ring or not but he went and met with sheldon adelson and there had been reports before that that sheldon adelson was creating the committee to destroy rand paul and this kind of thing and so rand went and had a meeting with him and then after the meeting he said no he's not going to do that that's not true whatever and so it seems to me like they had to have made the deal that you stop being good on Iran and I'll let you live and go ahead and I mean that figuratively. Right. <laughs> Politically live. And I'll let you go ahead and run your campaign and lose anyway, but without, you know, targeting you for complete nuking. And so I, I think he must have made that deal, you know, is is my speculation about why he did it. Well, it's, it certainly seems like it. You know, you, you always hear about married couples who say, oh, if you could, you, you, know, you have one person you can cheat with. And it seems like Iran and, and you know, Israel by uh, de facto association is is Rand's cheating uh, ability. You know, it's like this is his one exception because he has all these principal stances about different sanctions. And, and I've been reading his book, Taking a Stand. And within it, he refers to the Arab Spring and how important that is and how we have to understand it. And that's the key to, to see, you know, peace in the Middle East. And then he goes around and, and you know, decries the, this groundbreaking agreement that's going to move things forward. And as you said, maybe finally we'll unlock the Cold War. So, you know, it does seem, to your point, like he made a deal with the devil. And he's just blindly has to back anything that could be potentially seen as a threat to, uh, to Israel. So I'm just wondering is how far can he push it before people start to push back? And also, I want to, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. When you look at, you know, a lot of the people we're seeing in different forums also were now uh, getting a little bit into Bernie Sanders and his views on foreign policy and where that applies to Iran and something like this. So what are your thoughts about Rand Paul, uh, his approach, and also now taking Bernie Sanders' approach into it and where that, that might pull some libertarians away? Yeah, well, okay, so the Bernie Sanders thing in a minute, I guess. With the Rand <laughs> thing... I think this, okay, if he's got a chance at all, a snowball's chance at getting the nomination, 
that rather than trying to pander to everyone and distance himself from all of his father's positions, this is the same thing I've been saying since 2009. I interviewed him when he was first announcing or you know talking about running for Senate, and I was really excited and really disappointed when I talked to him. And now, then again, he won for Senate, so he knows something. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, my argument has been that what he ought to do is relish every opportunity he has to defend his father's position on whatever it is, because his father's awesome on virtually everything and has all the right arguments, is very well educated and knows the whole world in detail without looking at a map and knows the history of all these different conflicts and is really great. And so my idea is what he ought to do is he ought to be Ron, only younger, and in the Senate. <laughs> and and maybe a little more mouthy and a little more willing to get into a fight where, you know, Ron Demures is always the gentleman and is never personal at all. And then get up there and just raise hell, man, and change the world, right? Right, because Rand has that ability. And so, but Rand's thing is, and look, I can kind of sympathize with him a little bit or try to empathize with him or whatever that... He's only looking out of his eyes. He can't understand. He doesn't see the context the way I see the context. You know, that what he ought to be doing is being as libertarian as hell and then applying every bit of, of leadership ability that he has to make America libertarian as hell too and get into these fights and win them. You want to talk about Iran? Let's talk about how Lindsey Graham's war has been the best thing that any buddy ever did to the ayatollahs ever in iraq let's talk about the bada brigade and then the guys that power drill people to death over there when they're working for lindsey graham and the ayatollah at the same damn time you want to argue about let's talk about who wants to back al-qaeda against the three-piece suit wearing clean shaven chin assad in syria right now my competition for president and they're calling me bad on foreign policy let's fight about foreign policy roll up the sleeves start swinging he could kick all their asses all he has to do is just read his father's articles and repeat rinse and repeat he's the father ron is right about everything and they are wrong about everything i mean look at who he's up against up there mike huckabee and and lindsey graham and these goons if rand would just do his homework do his reading and take a stand on all of these issues, he could completely make an absolute fool out of them and then inspire that base of the people who love Ron, who obviously you can look at the numbers, man, who are not rallying to Rand right now. He thought he could count on us no matter how bad he pushed it. But instead of selling out and leaning to the right, what he ought to be doing is demanding that the right come with him and say that, listen, this is the future of our country here, and we need the entire conservative movement and the more moderate Republicans. We need the Democrats, and we need the leftists. We need town and country, black and white, east and west, and everyone, all the non-voters, have got to rally around this campaign because we want peace, and we want to reinstate the entire Bill of Rights, that is, repeal the entire 21st century and all the you know, so-called emergency measures so far. And we want to end to all the bailouts to the banks. I don't know if you're going to sell abolishing the central bank in the campaign. You can certainly sell no more corporate welfare for Goldman or Citigroup, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase ever, ever again. And then make it specific. 
but you have to register Republican. I know you don't want to. Register Republican and then screw Karl Rove and Rick Perry and the Republican Party establishment and Jeb Bush. And we'll just, the American people will just use their party for a little while for our own purposes. And we'll change this whole game. And we'll have life and liberty instead of death and taxes. So come on. And that's the campaign right there. That is the Paul campaign that is waiting to happen that is not happening. Well, Scott, you know, listening to you makes me wish that back in 2009, maybe you and Rand connected a little better on this stuff and maybe you became his, his campaign manager because that's the campaign. That's the Rand Paul campaign I, I envisioned. I imagined when I supported his run for Senate uh, back in 2010, I sent him money because I was, I was hoping to see that, to see that in a Senate run and possibly a presidential run down the road. And I, I love him on so many things, but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit after the show too. But I mean, to me, this is kind of a deal breaker because I mean, foreign policy for me personally, it's what got me into the liberty movement and uh you know if, if i'm going to compromise on something i don't like to compromise really at all but if it's if it's going to be something it ain't going to be this so you know and i think right. a lot of people feel the same way so uh, thank you for joining us thank you for giving us your perspective here i really appreciate it and you know keep up the great work and um you know if you have any final words or you want to plug your show once again we'll let you do that before we sign you off oh i'll just say thank you both very much for having me on and and i guess i'll say that uh the only reason that i'm so upset about it is because of how bad i want to like him and how much potential I see there, and all the good that could come from this campaign if he would take full advantage of it the way his father tried to do in 08 and 12. And so I do mean well, as horrible as I sound on it all. But anyway, thank you both. Good night. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Take Scott. care. All right. It was great talking to Scott Horton there today. Always great to speak with him. Uh, of course, I had him on the show a couple months ago to talk about ISIS. I'll post that, of course, in the show notes for the show, lionsofliberty.com slash 124. And uh, Brian, why don't we get your thoughts first of all? Uh, what did you think of talking to Scott Horton there and, and, every, and his whole analysis of the Rand Paul situation, as I guess we'll, we'll call it? We are in the situation room, the Lions of Liberty situation room. Yeah, Scott, the man knows what he's talking about. He laid it out for us pretty clearly, and I agree with him uh, uh, you know, completely. He Rand really is taking departure from all these principled stances. And as I, as I have mentioned there earlier in the show, and this is this one thing, which is, it's so puzzling when you look at it and you say, it, it doesn't jive with anything he's been saying in the past. It doesn't jive with his basic stance on foreign policy, which is talk to your, you know, talk to these other countries, find a way to, to discuss things, bring everybody to the table, make a deal. War should be the last option. And then you see him turn around and, go and pull a, a complete 180 here and say, you know, no, we need to keep these sanctions in place. It's not good enough. You know, no, 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 no. It's ridiculous, in my opinion. So, I mean, I agree with Scott. I, I think it's a crying shame. And I agree with you saying that it's something where you look at Rand and you go, you got to be effing kidding me. Is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Scott nailed it on the head there, too, when he said, you know, the only reason he's so fired up and gets so so angry about this, I mean, obviously he's not mad about, you know, John McCain being fired up about right. it or, or, you know, about Mike Huckabee or anybody else that might come out against this deal. He's only this fired up about Rand Paul, but it's what he said there is that, you know, he sees what could have been, you know, he sees the Rand Paul that could be, and he's so close on so many issues. He's very eloquent on, on the war on drugs, uh, even if he might not go all the way saying legalize everything, he does come out and say, I want to end the war on drugs, right, you know? Justice reform is yes. a huge thing we can all get behind for him. And yeah, and, and even if he might not go all the way, we can say he's remaining principled. I mean, if you might not like someone that says it doesn't come out and say legalize all drugs, but they do say, please end mandatory minimums. This is absurd. We can all get behind that because it's leading us on the right path, in the right direction at least. Whereas this, I mean, opposing this deal just seems like, you know, he says he doesn't want a war, and I, I don't think he wants a war, but I think he feels that he needs to keep this rhetoric up for whatever reason, or maybe, as Scott mentioned, he just 
kissed the ring of Sheldon Adelson and made a deal. And, you know, this guy's got hundreds of billions of dollars. He, he throws at political campaigns. So maybe Rand said, you know what? I'm going to save my skin on this one. I'm going to keep that Adelson neocom money away from me. And I'm just going to talk tough on Iran, knowing maybe it won't really affect the actual, you know, the final vote of the deal, even though I'm going to vote against it. But man, that's no way to uh, show people what you believe. That's no, you know, it's really frustrating because I, I'd love to live in a world where I can sell Rand to my liberal friends. And I can in so many ways if he comes out stronger against corporatism and stuff like that. And the war on drug stuff is a great point where I can connect with other people and say, look at Rand, he's great on this. But there's no way I can sell this this foreign policy stuff. I can't even attempt to. Well, and I'm not going to. Well, the only is that Hillary Clinton is even more of a sure. warmonger against Iran. She, you know, she goes farther, I think. Yeah, well, direction. Hillary's basically saying, you know, I'll, I'll bomb them day one, you know, whatever, right. screw these guys. But, uh, I mean, it's sad when I'm looking to guys like Jim Webb and Bernie Sanders for possibly having the better foreign policy than the, the quote-unquote whatever quasi-slash-libertarian you know, candidate. Yeah, we didn't get there. to that with Scott Horton. I, I was curious to hear what his thoughts were about Bernie Sanders. Sanders foreign policy uh, approach. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to add here is uh, just getting back to the sanctions in general and, and, you know, Rand wanting to keep these sanctions in place is, you know, Mark was able to uh, obtain a copy of his book, like I said, Taking a Stand, which I've been reading through and which we'll go through in detail at a later podcast. So I'm not quite done it. But Rand makes a point of mentioning over and over again the Arab Spring. And there's an excerpt where she refers to specifically, you know, the people on the street being affected and how you have to win them over and, the, and they're being crushed by, you know, government sanctions or, or the, the power of government crushes freedom. But the USA, in this instance, because of the heavy sanctions we're living on that are affecting the economy and crushing people and keeping them down, we are the oppressive government in this situation by letting these killer sanctions all the time and refusing to negotiate in good faith with Iran. So I just don't understand how he can talk out of both sides of his mouth. And, and he's not even talking. It's in print right here in this <laughs> damn book I'm holding. Right. And then he goes completely against it. Uh, how much of that book this... was ghostwritten by Jack Hunter? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> That's a very good question. Or anybody. Jeffrey Tucker. I, uh, well, I don't I'm know sure. who, who helps him write his books there's, nowadays. It's probably dictated but not read somewhere in the back. Right. So I, I think it's safe to say that, uh, and, and we didn't ask Scott to give a plus or minus, but I don't think, I think we're pretty safe to say <laughs> that. It's fairly clear. That Scott, as well as the two of us, give this a resounding very minus, minus, big time minus. And you know, it's maybe this is just the things balancing out. We've been pretty, pretty good to Rand the last few weeks, months, even. We've been stretching, trying to find minuses. We've yeah. been, you've been saying, oh, we love that. You know, he's coming out against the Clintons, talking about mass incarceration, all these great things he's come out against. Great comments on the war on drugs. Yeah, even of course, his work against mass surveillance and NSA spying. Sure, all that good that. stuff. Yeah, and it's all and that's all stuff I'll continue to support him on. Don't, don't get tax, me wrong. You know, the taxes, he's, the he's flat introduced tax, the flat tax, the it, flat and fair tax. Yeah, flat he's done fair. so much good things. He's a, he's about a three to one ratio of. And none of this stuff minuses. is perfect. A flat tax isn't the perfect system, but it's at least going in a more principled direction. Whereas I can't even find a way to justify this remotely. Well, Mark, let me maybe attempt to justify it by okay. referring to a Paula Abdul song, Two Steps Forward." And three steps back. When we get together, opposites attract. So maybe Rand Paul has been listening to that. He's just taking the three steps when back. When it comes to and Iran, he it won't attack or something. I don't know. We, <laughs> sorry, we didn't have time to write lyrics before the show. He's but, Israel uh, we'll scat-catting is what's happening oh, here. Because anything with Israel, he takes steps back the Rand and Paul his own principles. 
It's on the podcast. Maybe we should bring the podcast oh, the in podcast. for the music video. Yes. It's the reference to the last episode. And if you get that, you're awesome because you're one of our your biggest fans out there. There you go. Uh, if you're also a big fan of the show, hashtag Randy Pants. Why don't you hashtag Randy Pants and say, why the heck is hashtag Randy Pants coming out being out against the Iran deal? Let's get on them because you know what? The only way to show them that this isn't politically expedient is to show them that it's not. Guess what? I gave Ron Paul $2,500 or whatever, maybe it was 22 whatever the legal maximum was in 2008 when I could barely scratch two dimes together and in 2012, I have not sent Rand Paul since his Senate run a dime, and why? It's because of crap like this. Yep. Because I'm I, with you. You know, I'm, I'll support you when you're right, and I'll, I'll criticize you when you're wrong. But on make or break issues, and to me, foreign policy, when we're talking about life or death, the sanctions are already killing people. When we're talking about stuff like this. I, I don't compromise, and I'm not going to send money to someone who has this kind of rhetoric and takes these kind of stances, even when he's the son of Ron Paul, even when he is good on so many other issues. So that's freaking that. And Scott's right. Just listen to your dad. Ron Paul put out a Liberty Report completely praising this deal. So listen to your dad, Rand. That's all I got to say. Listen to your dad. If you enjoy this show, if you enjoy our comings and goings, if you enjoy the interviews we do here at Lines of Liberty with guys like Scott Horton, be sure to come on back. Please subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher. Go leave us a rating and review. These are ways you can help us get the show out to more people. Please come join us at lionsofliberty.com. You can find the full archive of this show, the Lions of Liberty podcast, at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. You can also find the full Rand Paul Lusses archive at lionsofliberty.com forward slash Rand. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Join us on Twitter. Guys, if you want to talk about this stuff, if you're, if you're as fired up as me and Brian and Scott Horton are, I want you to join our private group, our private Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, search for the Lions of Liberty Forum. Request to get in there. And, uh, you know, if I think your profile pic looks like you're an upstanding citizen, I'll let you in the group and we can talk about this stuff. Now, I'll let, I, So far, I've let everybody in. So don't worry. You shall be excited. Changing your profile picture to a Lions of Liberty logo is one sure That's way, one to, way to, to ensure it. But By the way, the one, way. one quick thought, Mark, before we sign off completely is, sure. are we going to have to change our... One sentence earlier, Rand Paul to three points against the Iran deal earlier, Rand Paul. Three points against the Iran deal earlier. Uh, All right, until next time, guys. Live long and and live free. Unless you're in Iran and Rand Paul's got his eyes on you. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just Mm. kidding. Two steps forward, three steps back. <laughs> we get together in time for an Iran attack. <laughs> three points against the Iran to your